welcome to Themis Podcasts. Themis is a risk management firm specialising in financial crime. Our aim of these podcasts is to bring you interesting news, interviews and recordings of our exclusive events from the world of financial crime. Protecting Children from Trafficking and Slavery In this podcast, Hope Sherwin, Themis Head of Social Impact, talks to Phil Spencer from the UK NGO Every Child Protected Against Trafficking, or ECPAT, about the work his organisation does to tackle child trafficking in the UK and the role the financial services industry has to play. Phil is Training and Practice Officer at ECPAT UK, responsible for their training programmes for practitioners across the UK. Hello and welcome to this podcast, which is part of our discussion series exploring the links between modern slavery and human trafficking and the financial services industry. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Phil Spencer, Training and Practice Officer at ECPAT. ECPAT, which stands for Every Child Protected Against Trafficking, is a leading children's rights organization working to protect children from trafficking and exploitation. They support children everywhere to uphold the rights, their rights and to live a life free from abuse and exploitation. As we will hear from Phil, children may be trafficked to the UK from elsewhere, but British children may also be trafficked within the UK, as we are seeing increasingly with county lines gangs often targeting children in care who are especially vulnerable to manipulation. Welcome, Phil, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I've given a bit of an outline of of the work that ECPAC does, but I wonder if you could begin by telling us a bit more about your organisation and the work it does. Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, ECPAT stands for Every Child Protected Against Trafficking. Uh, We are part of an uh, international ECPAT network. There's more than 100 organisations as part of that uh, network worldwide. Um, And we all do things uh, or have a slightly different focus. So ECPAT actually started as a network trying to combat child sexual exploitation in tourism. Um, But here in the UK, our main focus is around Uh, supporting child victims of trafficking and in particular focusing on having that effective statutory response to child trafficking. So there's a few different parts of our work. I think most importantly we have a youth program where we work directly with young people who have experienced trafficking as a child Um, and we have a couple of different youth groups and we'll support a young person um, not only as a child but um, as they transition to adulthood and into their 20s as well and that really feeds into everything else we do as a charity as a youth participation is really key to what we do so we use um, that youth program to really uh, get the views and and um, drive from our young people to inform our other pieces of work. We also run campaigns related to issues that child victims of trafficking have and our key long-term campaign at the moment is the Stable Futures campaign um, which really aims to have those stable futures for child victims of trafficking uh, to prevent further exploitation um, and have the 
so they have that security moving forwards. Linked in with that, we try and inform policy as much as possible. Um, we produce research relating to child trafficking. And then my particular part is um, we run a variety of different training programs for different pr practitioners, um, which we're all doing online now. So you can go to our website and, and have a look what's available. Thanks very much. Um, as you know, uh, Themis has conducted research into the links between modern slavery, human trafficking and the financial services industry. Um, and one of the things that our research has shown is that there are quite low levels of awareness of the prevalence of modern slavery and human trafficking and quite low levels of understanding of, of what it means in the UK. Um, I think, you know, People often associate uh, these crimes with um, things that happen far away from the UK. People that are coming from, from outside the UK are being trafficked into the UK. But this is also very much an issue that's, that's going on on our doorsteps within the UK, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I think you're right. There, there isn't that same um, understanding of, of the trafficking that is happening here within the UK. Um, there's often a narrative about trafficking being hidden. Um, there's an underworld of trafficking happening. Um, and I've, this is quite unhelpful language, I think, because it, it makes this it makes us think that trafficking is something abstract that is not affecting us and you mentioned something uh, like situations in garment factories and other parts of the world and you know that's quite convenient for us to believe that it's happening far away um, but you're absolutely right it is present here in the UK um, we see it in so many different ways and um, yeah it's it's absolutely happening yeah so if, if you think about the definition of child trafficking I think that helps us uh, realize that it's a lot more prevalent than we would understand. So for a child, trafficking is the recruitment, the transportation, the transfer, the harboring or receipts of that child for the purpose of exploitation. It's a very broad and simple definition. And when you think about that definition, you see actually that there's lots of child trafficking that is occurring, um, but we wouldn't necessarily think of it as, as child trafficking. If there's some sort of movement or some sort of action to recruit or harbour a child, and if that action is to exploit them, then that is child trafficking. So what we see really is that there's a multiple different forms of child trafficking and i think usually when people think of trafficking they think about sexual exploitation um, or they think about it quite narrowly but as well as sexual exploitation we see labor exploitation we see criminal exploitation of children is very common now um, there's also domestic servitude and organ harvesting are just a few of the the um, forms of child trafficking that we do see here. Indeed, it's much, much broader than, than perhaps we might we might um, imagine. Um, I wonder if you might be able to share a couple of examples of, of cases that you've witnessed, just to give our, our listeners an understanding of the types of vulnerability and exploitation that, that we're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we come across uh, 
a wide range of different forms of child trafficking. Um, there's some of the ones which we might conventionally uh, understand or, or think that happens. So for example, um, the trafficking of young people into the UK to be exploited in cannabis farms is relatively well established and something that is known. Um, and we work with young people in those situations, but that's not the only form of criminal exploitation. We see so many different uh, varieties. So for example, when I, um, in a previous job, when I was working as a social worker and I was working in youth court, um, we had two young people come in um, and they'd been arrested uh, in central London for um, theft offences um, and they were pickpocketing tourists. And throughout that assessment, you saw um, really significant indicators suggesting that these young people were trafficked um, and they were originally uh, from Croatia. And um, this is another form of criminal exploitation that people overlook. They don't necessarily recognize that's happening. We're having young people trafficked for what we call forced acquisition offending. We work with um, young people trafficked from many different countries. Uh, so for example, we work with a young person from Nigeria raised by his grandmother. Um, and she was quite elderly and she was approached by someone in her community who offered their um, her grandchild a job in the UK. Um, and it was through this promise of work that this young person was trafficked. Um, so he was trafficked into uh, labor exploitation. We have um, young people who have been trafficked from Vietnam. Uh, so we have one particular young person who um, was being looked after by her grandmother in Vietnam after her parents had died. She had traveled to a local city. She was working in a restaurant and she was living in that restaurant as well. And um, after a couple of months, there was someone who continued to approach her at the restaurant. And then at one point, she um, was offered food by some regular customers. And the next thing she knew, she uh, woke up in China and she had been trafficked across the border. And um, from China, she was then trafficked across Russia, across Eastern Europe and into the UK. Um, and she was being sexually exploited um, and, and um, exploited for her labor as well. We work with a young person who was trafficked from Ethiopia. Uh, she came from a family with lots of family members, uh, lots of children. Uh, they really struggled for money. They struggled to feed their family. Um, and when the young person was 14, her mother um, was offered a job opportunity for the young person in Saudi Arabia as a maid. Uh, she ended up being trafficked for domestic servitude. She was kept as a servant. She experienced sexual exploitation, psychological abuse and violence. And it was only many years later when um, the family took a holiday to the UK that she saw that when she was in the UK, she had an opportunity to escape. Um, and she took that opportunity and came into care through that experience. Thank you very much for sharing those, you know, quite eye-opening and harrowing stories of, of people, people's experiences. Um, just thinking uh, now about the work that Themis has been doing, um, how do you think the financial services industry can play a role in, in the work 
that you do. Are there particular areas in which banks or other financial organisations could do things differently to support vulnerable people? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the first thing to recognise is that it's not only that the financial um, services have a place to uh, or a role to play in supporting victims of trafficking and survivors of trafficking. However, they can also have that role to play in actually preventing trafficking. And something that we see um, amongst our young people is that when they are in the UK, when they are in care maybe, you see that they are often in very precarious and unstable situations. So it might be an unaccompanied child who was trafficked to the UK um, and they're awaiting an asylum decision. Maybe the young person is being age disputed. Maybe there's questions about the, uh, whether professionals believe the young person's story. You know, young people are in a situation of uncertainty and precariousness. And what we found for our research is that when young people are in that precarious situation, uh, they get exploited again and re-trafficking happens. So how does that apply to the financial sector? Well, young people often have very precarious financial situations as well. And I think there's something, there's an assumption that we make that someone who um, is in a precarious situation, who is being trafficked or exploited, we assume that their financial lives are very simple because they might not have much money. But there's, um, I remember reading a book 10 years ago called Portfolios of the Poor. And um, it's an ethnographic piece of research which goes into detail on um, in people's financial lives. And it, therefore, I think we need to recognise that vulnerable young people and those who are being exploited need financial services. And if they do not have financial services, then that compounds their vulnerability to being trafficked or exploited again. So for example, we work with a lot of young people in the UK who are unaccompanied young people um, and they're claiming asylum. And they can find it very, very difficult to open a bank account they find it incredibly hard to do so. Um, in preparation for this uh, podcast, I was speaking to a young person who helps us with our training, and this was just today, and I asked her what her experience was. Was it easy for her to open a bank account? Is it important? The first thing that she said is absolutely it's important. And what she um, highlighted is actually when I had a bank account, it meant my carer could monitor what was going on because part of her exploitation was financial exploitation. Her traffickers used her, um, you know, her to store money and so on. So she said that her foster carer could um, look at the bank statements and see that uh, she wasn't being exploited in that way. She said it was really important for her to be able to store money in a bank account because before that she just had to store it in cash and it's um you know not very it's very unstable and precarious again then i asked about her experience 
And she said it took a really, really long time to, for her to open a bank account, even after she got her legal um, status and leave to remain in the UK. And that's because when she was trafficked to the UK, um, she had all these different dates of birth, all these different names on documentation, because that is part of her, was part of her trafficking. A trafficker gave her these false documents and there was all this inaccurate recording and that meant that she wasn't able to provide those details and the, the banks really took a long time to accept she was who she said she was but she did say she finally got that bank account and that really mattered for her um, more than anything she also still uh, needed to send money abroad she needed to send money to support family back home and she needs financial services to do that. If she didn't have access to financial services, she's vulnerable to people who could exploit her, um, who may offer those services. So she may need to send money home. And if she can't do that through a bank or through um, formal financial services and, and avenues then when someone comes up to her and promises to send money back home if if they work for her then that makes her vulnerable to exploitation i worked with a young person who was being criminally exploited and um, it took a really long time to try and disrupt that exploitation to try and protect him from exploitation. And it took some time, but then once he turned, it was about 17 and a half at the time, we had turned a corner and we were in a position where we could help him try and move on. The difficulty for that young person is that when he was being criminally exploited, his traffickers were using his bank account to clean money that was being made through um, selling drugs. And what happened in that situation was that he, um, his bank account had uh, red flags being raised on it for potential fraudulent activity. And what then happened was they just closed down his bank account. And about so I think it was about eight months later we were in a position where he was being protected and he wasn't in that position of exploitation and we were helping him apply for jobs and he'd got a job and um, he went to turn up on the first day and they said you still haven't given us your bank details and he couldn't open a bank account because every time he went to a new bank this flag would come up and they said that they were not able to open a bank account for him. And he kind of spent a bit of time trying to put this off. But quite quickly, his, his employer said, why have you not given us your bank details? Like, we need this to be able to employ you and pay you. We can't pay you cash in hand. And then he finally explains that he's not allowed to open a bank account and they ask a bit more and then he tells them why he's not allowed to open a bank account. He was in a position where he no longer had a job and that meant that he was very vulnerable to continue being criminally exploited. 
we were really close to getting him in a position where he could move beyond that exploitation, where, you know, he had a purpose and an avenue um, to focus on. But when he wasn't able to open that bank account, um, he wasn't able to uh, access that avenue. So, yeah, I, I do think that if the financial services sector are able to really be flexible with this group of young people, uh, maybe be understanding, be quite accommodative, because they might not have, um, you know, that identity, those identity documents. Um, they may not, you know, there may be concerns around the bank, uh, the, the bank details in the past and so on. Um, but if they are able to be a bit more accommodative, and a bit more flexible with young people, then I think that that could actually go a long way to um, protecting young people from, from further exploitation. One thing that I did want to point out, which is a bit different to for children than adults, is the issue of self-identification. So your recent podcast about um, survivor inclusion in, in banking have been excellent and you see how important it is. But I think there is a big difference with young people and that is in the way that it's actually very difficult for children to be able to self-identify as a victim of trafficking. And what that means is that Often there's a requirement on lots of these survivor inclusion projects that they might recognize themselves as a victim of trafficking, but a child who's been exploited would not recognize that. And therefore, um, you know, this might close certain doors for, for inclusion um, when actually banks need to be able to provide these services, even when the young person doesn't recognize that. So I talked earlier about that young person who had his bank account shut down. Could you ever get him to admit that he was a victim of trafficking? Absolutely not. Okay, he wouldn't admit it. It's not possible for him to accept that that was exploitation. It's too difficult for him to recognize it and admit it. Now, when I spoke to his bank, I explained the situation and they said, no problem. We can open up your, um, your young person's bank account. All we need is um, a crisp report from the police, a report from the police explaining that he was trafficked. The issue was is that he was not identified as a victim of trafficking by services. Could you get him to go to the police station and wait several hours to make a report and say I was exploited. No chance at all he's going to do that. And we just kept on going around and around in circles. The, the bank couldn't understand why we couldn't just make this Chris report. And we can, under, we can get that message across that it's just not feasible. A young person is not going to go to the police and say, I was a victim of trafficking um, and make that, that um, statement. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so, you know, there was no way that that young person was going to uh, go to the police station and make a statement and say, I was a victim of trafficking.
it's it's really good for us to hear these these complexities because it, it is you know so much more complex than than one might imagine and you know as you said earlier you know people might think particularly children well they don't have you know much money and so they're their situation financially must be relatively straightforward, but there are actually all these layers of complexity and barriers um, to them, you know, fulfilling their independence and asserting themselves as, as a human being. Um, and I think it's 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 really great that we've had this opportunity to to talk about it today because I think you know there's a lot that that we can all you know take away from this discussion and. I think, you know, as as we discussed at the beginning, there's so much around awareness and, you know, that there are many people involved in these these situations and often the two sides are not talking to each other or, you know, we don't see all the different facets of, of, of the situation. So thank you very much indeed for sharing all these insights um, with us. Um, Phil, I wonder if you have any um, advice or guidance for... Um, frontline staff um, in, in banks and, and financial organizations, what sort of things might might they need to look out for? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's something to be aware of is that you may be um, coming into contact with potential child victims of trafficking and exploitation. So something as we learn more about the exploitation and how traffickers are adapting how they work, we know that actually a trafficker will try and control many different aspects of the young person's life. They'll try and exploit them in many different ways. And one of the most common ways in which young people are exploited is um, through committing fraud. And um, in particular with criminal exploitation, we've seen how young people will be shown how to open their own bank accounts and they'll be pushed to go and open their own bank accounts. And then traffickers will use these young people's bank accounts to process the money and clean the money. So I think that if banks are aware of that and uh, banks will have their own algorithms and ways to try and catch fraudulent activity, and I would say that if you see that fraudulent activity on a young person's bank account, you need to question exploitation, okay? You need to question whether this is a situation of trafficking. And similarly, when a young person comes into um, uh, banks and branches, you know, anything that doesn't seem quite right is the young person with an older adult who does not appear to be a family member? Is it they're making unusual transactions? Is it unusual interactions between the young person and um, anyone who's with them? So it's anything that isn't just, it's not quite right. It doesn't seem quite right. It's just about being curious about that and just having in the back of your mind the possibility that there's trafficking or exploitation. So the likelihood is if you see something that doesn't look quite right, maybe it's not trafficking, maybe it's not exploitation, but it's just understanding that there's the possibility that it could be. If anybody wants to find out more about the work that you're doing, I wonder if you could just verbally tell us your website in case anybody wants to look at um, the work that you've been doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. So our website is www.egpat.org.uk. Uh, so you can go to our website um, and look at all the different aspects of our work. Uh, you can sign up to our e-news and newsletters where you'll find out uh, going forwards all the different things that we've uh, got going on. Absolutely. That's brilliant, Phil. And thank you so much again for joining us today for this uh, really fascinating discussion and all the insights and experiences that you've shared with us. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks. That's a really great advice. This podcast is part of a series of virtual discussions we have published as part of our work addressing modern slavery and human trafficking. We are working in partnership with the UK Independent Anti-Slavery Commissioner to explore the ways in which the financial services sector can identify and prevent modern slavery and human trafficking. If you have time, I would encourage you to listen to the other podcasts in this series, which involve a range of expert speakers and highlight the excellent work being done by many of the industry's champions to address this terrible crime. Thank you for listening to the latest Themis podcast. We hope you found it interesting and informative. If you would like to find out more about Themis, get in touch with us via our website, www.crime.financial. You can also subscribe for future news and interviews.